Thank you. I thought maybe I was an early or something. <laughs> so before I mention, before I open the word today, I'd like to read a short statement from the elders. I've been asked to do that today. You'll be hearing a few more things as time goes on here in the next few weeks. So here we go. Before bringing the word, well, that was what I just said. Sorry. Although we stay away from partisan politics, through much prayer and discussion, we, the elders, have concluded that we need to speak directly to Proposal 3 on the upcoming ballot. This is not a partisan political issue. Rather, it is a deeply theological and moral issue. Let me state this clearly from the elders. We call on you as believers in Christ to vote no on Proposal 3. We would further urge you to speak with your fellow believers and citizens to encourage them to vote no as well. This morning is not the time to go into all the theological and moral reasons for this. But if you do have some questions, we'd encourage you to go back to September 25th's uh, YouTube uh, sermon series and the short sermon by Jeff Collinger on life beginning at conception and God's view of life and abortion. We would encourage you to start there if you have any questions. Personal opinion, not elder's opinion. That is probably the best short presentation I've ever heard on the topic. So we would encourage you to review that. Also, we would encourage you to speak with one of us or a staff member here on the topic if you have any questions. We would covet the opportunity to open the scriptures with you and to show you why we believe this is such an important issue. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be making resources available to you to help you think through this issue and how to communicate about this issue. Thank you. All right, so before I open the word then, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you were good to us. You've given us the ability to come together freely. We don't fear for our lives. You've given us an opportunity to be a part, a functioning part of our own government. But you've given us an opportunity to experience your salvation and help us to know how do those two things intersect. But even more today, as we look at your word, I hope, uh, pray that you would allow us to, to see the importance of communion and the importance of your Passover the importance of your sacrificial death on the cross. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So, little audience participation today uh, to start us off. What do a funeral and the 4th of July have in common? What do a funeral and the 4th of July have in common? Celebration, good. They're both celebrations of, or in what way are we celebrating? Okay, so oh, that's interesting that a funeral is freedom. That's, that's one way to think about it, yeah? Yeah, that's true. You're a believer, right? Um, okay, uh, Thanksgiving, 9-11. What are some of these things, what do we do on some of these days? We remember. So, 4th of July is a memorial. I didn't say Memorial Day on purpose, obviously. So, at a funeral, we remember. 
And the converse of that is we remember so that we don't forget, right? They're opposite sides of the same coin. And we do that in the United States with our own history. If you think about a lot of our celebrations, we have Memorial Day. We have 4th of July. We have Labor Day. We have Thanksgiving. All of these things are designed as memorials so that we don't forget. And by the way, let me just commend to you, go through the scripture sometime and just study the word forget, forgetting, forgot. Just take a concordance on your computer and find it and just work your way through that. And conversely, think, do the term remember. And those two concordance studies together will give you a rich picture of why even in our country we do these memorials day celebrations. Now think of a funeral. If that person was close to you or was a family member or was particularly special to you, that's a time of remembering and honoring and bringing to your mind things about that person's life that made a difference in your life. The scriptures are a deeply historical document. The scriptures are a deeply historical document. We think about all the great acts of God in history. God calling Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees and sending him to Palestine or to the nation of Israel. God choosing David to be king. But perhaps the greatest of all events in the Old Testament the most defining event in the Old Testament for the children of Israel was probably one of two things. Either Sinai, giving of the law, but even more importantly before that was the Passover. The Passover was the single defining birthday, if you will, for the nation of Israel. Because God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and delivered them through the Red Sea and eventually into the promised land. And if you look at Jewish history, much of what they do in terms of what they memorialize and the feasts they have are all about the Passover. The Passover. The Passover. The Passover then, in the past, in Jesus' present, the meaning of that gets fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and in the future, even from us, there's going to be further fulfillment of that Passover. And so today what I want to do as we consider the idea of the Lord's Supper or communion is to look at the Lord's Supper past, present, and future. What we're going to do today is look at the Lord's Supper past, present, and future. So here's what I would like to say for the past. In the past, God pre-taught the gospel in Israel's Passover. Did you catch that? In the Passover, God pre-taught the gospel. In the Passover. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is the institution of the feast of the Passover. Now, there's 
in a group this size, we're probably going to have various levels of Bible knowledge. So for some of you, if the Passover is just a word that you've never heard before, please stick with us. Okay, we'll try to give you enough information to understand. And if you've been a believer for a long time, or if you've known your Bible for a long time, and you grew up hearing those stories, this is probably old hat to you. Please bear with me, because we're going to try to bring everybody to the same page as we go through this. But remember, God calls Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees and says, I'm going to send you to Canaan, a land that I'm going to give to you. The land that's going to be yours forever. So he takes him there. And then eventually, his family becomes a tribe. And his tribe then moves down into Egypt. And in Egypt, they're taken into slavery. And in Egypt, they're multiplied into a large nation that's a slave nation. And then God uses one man, Moses, to bring them out. And to create this great nation and take them into the promised land. The defining event of that transition between slavery and freedom in their own land is the Passover. And so God calls Moses and he says, look, I'm going to take you and I'm going to have you lead them out of the land of Egypt. I wish we had time to talk about Moses today, but we don't. So we're going to. Fast forward to the very end. Remember, if you, if you remember the story, there's plagues that God uses to basically make Israel odious to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh will actually ask them to leave. He gets so tired of the problems that God causes through the children of Israel and through Moses. And so Pharaoh says, leave. So on the night before they leave, The last plague is the plague of the death of the firstborn children of the children of Egypt. And God says to the children of Israel, you do the following thing and I will spare you and I will deliver you from Egypt. I will save you from Egypt. So as part of this Passover ritual, we're going to see this in Exodus chapter 12. He says this. Chapter 12 of Exodus. And it should have the passage there. Um, The Blue Bible, I believe it's pages 68 and 69, if you're reading in the Blue Bible. But uh, Exodus chapter 12, we hear this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make for your count. You shall make your count for the lamb. Notice closely in verse five, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat that flesh night, uh, eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Now let's skip down a little bit further to verse 13. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So we have this ritual, this act, an act of faith that God calls the children of Israel to perform. You think about it. If they didn't believe that God was going to punish, they didn't have to do it. But what would happen if they did not? Then God would have sent the destroyer. Instead of passing over their house, he would have sent a destroyer in. So as an act of faith, the children of Israel take that spotless lamb. In another text that we didn't read here, it says he, you cannot break the bones of that lamb. And they took the blood and they put it on the top of the door. And they put it on the doorposts. And it's that blood that protected the children of Israel from God's wrath. Now, for some of you, that may be a tough concept. Some of us have kind of grown up with the thought that God is just a loving old man with a big white beard who just kind of like a Santa Claus dispenses good thing and is just about love. And God is love. It's not that he's just loving. God is love, right? And yet he's also a God of wrath because God is holy. God's just. He's perfect. And so because of that, there's a demand for payment for sin. And so in the Old Testament, there was sacrifice of blood that covered So we have the sacrificial system being inaugurated here. Not being, well, the Israelite system being inaugurated here. But the blood would protect from God's wrath. And so they did it. They killed the lamb. They sacrificed it. They didn't break its bones. They ate it all on one night. They put the blood on the side on the top of the doors. And when God came through Egypt and when he passed over the home that had the blood on the doorpost and the lentil, he spared, he saved those people. And those people who then were saved got to leave Egypt and enter into the promised land. What's really interesting about this is this becomes almost the defining picture of salvation for us in the New Testament. So I have a chart that should pop up here in a second. There's a, and I've just picked three because of time, because we've got to do communion this morning. I don't have time to do a full orb presentation here. But think about a lamb without blemish. When Jesus comes to be baptized, John the Baptist says to him, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. If you didn't have the Passover, and if you didn't have your Old Testament, that's a meaningless sentence. But God preached the gospel beforehand through the history of Israel so that when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we understand and they understood what he meant. 
Jesus is the ultimate one-time perfect sacrifice. Second one, not a bone shall be broken. John 19, 36 says this, Jesus, they put spear in his side and water came out showing that he was dead so that they wouldn't break his bones. What does that even mean? Okay, when they put a person on the cross, they didn't die because of the nails. They actually died of, of, of asphyxiation. So you're hanging there and you're tired and you, you can't breathe with your arms up like this. So you push up and you breathe and it, it's a long, gruesome, painful death. And if they wanted to hurry the process, they would break the legs of the people on the cross so that they couldn't push themselves up with their legs to take that breath. And it would hurry on the advent of their death through asphyxiation. But the picture that God established through the Passover was so important that they would have a perfect lamb that literally it said that God fulfilled that picture in the fact that they refused to break Jesus' bones. So that, that's a picture of Jesus' perfection. Not just his physical perfection, but rather his moral perfection. And then one last one. That I will pass over you and no plague will befall you. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, which we, were, we saw earlier. Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed. If you're today here today and you are a believer in Christ, you are here a saved Christian because of Christ's sacrifice for you. It's nothing you did. It's nothing you can do. It's nothing you will do. It's nothing that you can eat. It's nothing that you can do for other people. It's all about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's what we rely on today, brothers and sisters. So in the past, God pre-taught the gospel in Israel's Passover. In the present, we believers are to memorialize and proclaim our faith through the Lord's Supper. In the present, we are to memorialize and proclaim our faith through the Lord's Supper. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Now there's, every one of the Gospels has a section that describes this. I'm just going to look at Luke 22 today, along with 1 Corinthians 11. It'd be an Acts, not Luke, sorry. Longer. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night our Lord was betrayed, he specifically says he wants to take the Passover meal with his disciples. And so he makes arrangements sovereignly to have someone prepare a room for him in Jerusalem. And he gathers his disciples together. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. I believe it's page 1121, if you're in the blue Bible. I know because I looked it up this morning. This is what he says, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. We'll come back to this in a second. But verse 19 says this, and he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it, is, as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So we see here in a pretty concise little paragraph, the institution of the transformation, if you will, excuse me, of the picture given in the Passover and now transferred into what we today call the Lord's Supper. I just want to make a few statements about it as we look at this. First of all, it is to be a remembrance. It's to be a remembrance. He takes the bread, gives it to him, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church, and in our Baptist church, we usually said something like this. Oh, communion is just a, mem- a remembrance. Now, you think about that statement, it's just a remembrance. When I say, oh, I'm just, I say, oh, you're a college coach, yeah, but I'm just a volleyball coach. I'm not a football coach or a basketball coach. Those are the guys that make the big bucks and have the prestige, right? I'm just a volleyball coach. If I say that, it's because I'm deprecating my own position, am I not? So when I say it's just something, what does that make it sound like? Oh, it's inferior. This is actually the only command associated with this. He does say take the bread, right? So he tells them to take the bread. But he doesn't command them to eat it. Of course they have to eat it. The one command that's really significant here is do this in remembrance of me. So whatever else this is, this is a memorial. It is spiritually nourishing for us to remember. It's spiritually nourishing for us to not forget We all know there's all sorts of views on what this is my body means. But let me challenge you with this thought and let you think about whatever view you hold, our church is a remembrance view, but whatever view you hold, what's more important, the consuming or the remembering? Let me, let me say that again. I think this really matters. What's more important for you spiritually? What's more spiritually nourishing, the consumption or the remembrance? I think that'll go a long way to determining what you actually end up thinking about this in terms of what the this is my body actually means. So we remember, 
we think about the significance of. Hopefully we feel the emotional impact of what Christ did for us. What did our Lord do for us when he took upon himself the form of a man? He lived a perfect life. He then sacrificed himself on the cross and had God himself turn his back on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, I would argue, had to be the greatest agony for our Savior. Total rejection from the Father. Separation from the Father. Something he had never experienced before. After all, he'd been in communion with the Father and the Spirit since eternity passed. And suddenly, that communion is gone. So we remember, we remember the significance of what he did for us. And we remember how we want to obey him because of what he did for us. He did that for us. Why wouldn't we lay our lives down for him? So we remember so that we don't forget. And if you think about the scriptures when you think about all those scriptures about forgetting, usually it's forgetting and there's almost always some sort of a moral implication to the forgetting. You forgot the one who saved you so you went off and you chased idols in the Old Testament. So we remember so as to not forget. So today we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. It's an opportunity for us to come together and to remember. And Pastor Gibb is going to lead us through that in a few moments. But what's really cool about the Lord's Supper is we're not done. Even in this life, when we go to eternity and we spend forever in God's kingdom, we're going to do it with Jesus. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper with Jesus. Oh, by the way, I want to say one more thing before I get to the future here. What's really interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, as oft as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So how often was the Passover celebrated in the Old Testament? Once a year. So some churches do it once a year. Some churches do it once a month. Some churches do it every service. Somewhere in the world, every day, communion is happening. What's really interesting is it's, it's not dictated to us. So I have no horse in this race. I personally would like to do it more than every six weeks, but that's not my choice, and that's okay. But we have tended to do it that way. Some people do it every service. Some people do it every month. Some people do it twice a year. Some do. The key is, when we do it, let's do it in remembrance. Now, also, if you think about, if you think about the purpose, if the purpose is remembrance, 
and it's less about the consumption and more about the remembrance? If, if, if it's about the consumption, let's do it every day. But if it's about the remembrance, let's do it in a way that doesn't become old hat and familiarity breeding contempt. So just stuff to think about as we think about that. All right, so in the future, in the future, we're going to do it with Jesus. Look what he says. I'm just going to stick with Luke 22 this morning. For I tell you, I will not eat it, in verse 16, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And verse 18, two verses later, says this. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So all of this time that Jesus has been at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, he has not been participating in communion. He's been not drinking the fruit of the vine. Because he's waiting until we all believers can get together with him in eternity and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. How cool is that? So there is going to be a day when we see Jesus face and we take communion with him as his children, as his brethren. The older I get, the more I look forward to that day. So let's bring this home. I just have four applications for you. Please, please, please don't neglect your Old Testament in your personal Bible study. There's so much richness that comes out of the Old Testament. If we didn't have our Old Testament, if we didn't have the Passover, if we didn't have all this stuff, the New Testament would be completely meaningless. And we probably shouldn't ignore it when we read the Bible. And we probably all have some really old saint that we love, that just loved the Lord and it was a joy to be around and talk to. Almost everyone I've ever known about that just loves their Old Testament. Just absolutely loves their Old Testament. I just think there's something to that. Two, let's be spiritually nourished together as believers through the Lord's Supper. Let's come to the table. Let's remember Let's celebrate. Let's proclaim the Lord's death. Three, let's participate knowing that the Lord's Supper does not contribute to your salvation. Catch that? Let's celebrate together knowing that this does not contribute to you being a child of God. This doesn't earn you more points with Jesus. This is for believers to participate in so that they will remember, so that they will be nourished, and so that we will grow and we will go out and live even more faithfully than we've been attempting to live to this point. If you're here and that's new to you, let's talk. I would love to talk with you. Let's talk about the fact that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. If it's about how many times you do communion, you got a lot to brag about. You think that somehow that element is going to give you more points with God. I'd love to speak with you. And then number four, let's faithfully proclaim Jesus' sacrificial death and bring more friends into communion with Christ. Amen? I love what Pastor Gibb preached last week. Friends bring 
friends to Jesus. Let's bring them into the communion. Let's bring them in and let's celebrate this together as a body. And I didn't get a chance to say it because I wanted to end on time because I know we have communion this morning. But the one other thing that I was going to talk to you about is that communion is not for the purpose of proclaiming Jesus' death, but it does. The command is to memorialize, but it does say as often as you do this, you proclaim his death. That's why I think it's really cool that we don't do communion as just members in a room somewhere in the back. Anytime we do communion here, there's the potential of people being here who don't know the Lord. And this is a chance for us to talk about the gospel. Big, bold letters. This is the gospel. Jesus died for you. And if you're here and that's new to you or you just aren't there yet, love to talk to you. We have a lot of people down front here at the end of the service who would love to talk to you. Maybe someone who brought you here today would love to speak with you about this. But don't go away without understanding what we're talking about. So let's faithfully proclaim Jesus' sacrificial death and bring more friends into communion with Christ. Let's pray. Father, as Pastor Gibb comes to lead us in communion, help us to remember. We pray that you would nourish us spiritually. Help us to grow through this. Help us to be more faithful because we participated in this together as a body. I pray this in Jesus' name.